We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We haven't been here in a while. We're going to jump right in, though. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Lord, we're, uh, we're so thankful, God, we have your word. It's a, it's a guide to us, Lord. It teaches us, instructs us. Uh, Lord, just singing the last song, just a reminder of what a good God we have, what a good God we serve, uh, that your desire is to meet with us, to talk to us, and to remind us how much you love us. Jesus, you loved us so much, you died for us. Uh, we can never thank you enough for that, Lord. So I pray this morning that you would remind us of that. Stir our hearts. Help us to see uh, clearer, Lord. Help us to hear your voice, uh, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 8 says this in verse 1. It came to pass afterward that he went through every city and every village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with them. I don't know if you've ever been, you're, you go to the store, you're driving there, and you get distracted. And then you get to the store, you're walking down the aisles, and all of a sudden, what am I here for? What am I getting? And then somehow you still walk out of Walmart, spending $100, and you don't get what you need. Like Leah's like, go back. He forgot something. I, you know, I do, I'm driving somewhere. I'm like, where am I going? Forget, forget where you're going, right? And, and you know, you got to turn around. All right, where are I? You know, mind wanders, whatever. Jesus is laser-focused in his life. He's going around preaching, in every city, big any didn't matter the number of people. He goes into a city and he preaches. And he shares the good news, the glad tidings of the gospel. This is there's a kingdom coming. This kingdom isn't going to last forever. There's a God in heaven. There's truth. And he brings the gospel everywhere he goes to the big city, to the villages to a little town like Perry, right? He goes everywhere, and he's focused on what he has to do and what his mission is and what his goal is, what he's going to accomplish because he cares for people, right? And I think we have to walk through this life and get some realignment sometimes, like, all right, I'm, I'm, where was I going? <laughs> what am I doing? What's my goal? What's my call? The Word of God does that for you and I reminds us, reminds us what our mission is, what our goal is. There's a God who loves us and who cares for us. So Jesus is going around, it says the 12 were with him, and then Luke goes on and says this in verse 2, in certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And then he names a couple. Mary called Magdalene, she's from Magdala, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him. If you have the King James, it probably says ministered, because that's the word. Not just provided, they ministered. The word is serving, right? These, 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 thank God for women. Thank God for my wife, right? Imagine if the New Testament 
was written by women, the detail we'd have, the, 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 like the minute, the, the things we would know, like greater than what we do know, right? It was written by the Holy Spirit, but our wife, my ladies are just have so much detail. They know and, and they're sensitive. And, they, and so these ladies are just serving. Why are they doing it? Because Jesus touched their life. He saw a life that was hurting. This Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Real. Spiritual warfare is real. It's real stuff. We have a real enemy. It's real. Part of the Bible is what God talks about, and it's real. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Herod Stewart. That, that, it's Herod's, it's the guy who he's left in charge of everything that he owns. This guy is overseeing everything that he has. It's his wife. Like the gospel is far reaching. And these people, these ladies, are right there at the very end. They're here. This is about halfway through the ministry of Jesus. And they're going to be there right to the very end. They're going to be at the cross. Mary Magdalene, she's amazing. She's there at the cross. She's there at the burial of Jesus. She's there to anoint Jesus with the embalming spices. She's the, she goes to the tomb. She's looking for him. She sees two angels. She's weeping, and all of a sudden, Jesus, she doesn't know it's Jesus, says, woman, why are you weeping? She says, where, where have they taken the body? Just tell me where you've been. Did you take him? Tell me where you laid him. And Jesus just says, Mary. And, and he did, she didn't recognize him, because Jesus is different on the resurrection, Right? He still bears the very scars, the wounds in his hands and his feet, the lashings he took. She thought he was the gardener. She did not until he said her voice, Mary. And she breaks down like, oh my gosh, my Lord. And he gives her the message, the first person he entrusts with the message of the resurrection. He says, go tell my brethren. Special person, Mary. And what'd she do? She was serving. Like, Lord, what can I do? I think it should touch our hearts. Like, we all serve as a spouse, as a parent. How are you serving Jesus? I think it should reflect on your remembrance of what he's done for you. That's, that's your amount of service. Like, Lord, you went out of your way to snatch me out of this world, my life, my life personally, was heading in a very terrible place. I don't know if yours was. And Jesus entered in and changed me with the gospel, the truth of heaven and hell. Changed my life, transformed me. It should reflect, Lord, how can I serve you? What can I do? How are you serving the Lord? I think it should be an examination. God, what can I do? How am I serving you in practical ways? Right? There's a commendation Jesus gives. Man, 
You went to prison and visited me. You gave a drink of water. You helped me when I was in the hospital. Lord, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these. How are you doing that? How are we, how are we serving the Lord? How are we doing that? How are we serving others? I think it should be an examination. These ladies are an example to us of what it means to serve. In verse 4 it says, there's a transition here in Luke and in Jesus' ministry. It says, when a great multitude had gathered, as Jesus is going from village to town, city, it says a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, and he spoke a parable. So, as Jesus is seeing this crowd gather, he's, he, he, he starts, he changes his ministry, and he starts speaking in parables, right? It, to, uh, uh, a parable, parabolos is the Greek word, and it, it means uh, to come alongside and then to set in order. Balos is to lay alongside, right? So what he's doing, Jesus now is going to be telling stories. And it'll be kind of like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Like all these stories that Jesus is going to tell from here on out in his ministry are going to be illustrations of something that's eternal. And, and, and that's a good way to, to, to teach. It's a good way to talk, to, ta- to explain things. And Jesus does that. And he's very good at it. And he begins to speak in parables, but he sees these guys, and the first parable, this is Jesus's first parable, and he doesn't see this crowd like, oh my gosh, here's a, here's a mega church. Here, here's, this is, but Jesus sees the people, and he looks at their heart, and his first parable explains not what he sees on the outward, all these people showing up, but he explains what's going on internally in everybody's heart that's standing there listening to him, that's following him, that's watching the miracles and the things he's doing, the healings. And he spoke, and, and he, so he speaks this, this parable, and, it's, and it explains their motive, but he says this, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, and, and probably, and a, and a sower, somebody that's somebody who's planting, probably wheat, some sort of a grain, uh, and, and what they would do, obviously, you know, lots of guys have tractors. You drive around here, you see lots of tractors. They didn't obviously have that. I mean, there's, there's ox and plows, and people are out there. It's like Amish uh, in Israel right here. And, and after they fit up the field, they have this bag of seed, leather strap with a bag. And they're almost like if you've ever had to do grass seed at your house, you're out there like, oh, gosh, I hope this grows, you know, right? You're chucking it out. And, and that's the picture Jesus is going to paint here. That's the sower. It's somebody, it's a farmer, and he's planting seed. And he says, a sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed, and you can picture it, probably in the distance somebody's doing this. Some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. You've probably seen that, and, and I don't know, that's maybe not what's happening when, uh, when I've driven around here. 
and a tractor's plowing the field, and there's seagulls all over, and you've probably seen that before, uh, just tons of birds and whatever. And that's the picture, but this is when they're sowing seed. Birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, and it sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Jesus just says that, and then he says this. He spoke those things. It says he cries. He, he yelled out. So now, whatever, however he's teaching, now he raises his voice. You ever have to do that, mom, dad? Right, right? He raises his voice so people understand. He who has an ear, let him hear. Whoever, whoever's listening, there's more to the story. The trouble is, and, and, and that's what Jesus, Jesus would often, will do that in the book of Revelation. If you read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus speaks to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. He speaks to those churches, and when he gets to the end, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Right? Does that, everyone at church has an ear. The trouble is not everyone at church that Jesus was talking to is listening. Right? Because your ear, if you're listening, is connected to your will. Like, I want to I do what you say. Like, I'm sick, and this prescription is going to help you. I'll take it. I need it. Right? You want to respond to what is being said because you're desperate or you're, you know. So Jesus raises his voice. If you're a teacher or a mom or a dad or an employer or probably many other things, you've had to raise your voice and try to get someone's attention. Hey, are you listening to what I'm telling you? I want to explain what I just said. And so Jesus does that. Is anybody listening? So Jesus is painting this picture, and, and thank God for verse 9, because the disciples ask him, saying, what does that mean? Right? The disciples didn't know what it meant, but you know what they had? They had an ear. They were interested. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what, it, what are you trying to say? And he said, and this is, in the, if you read Matthew's account, Luke's account, it, Jesus doesn't leave and say, ah, come here, God, and have a huddle with the disciples. He's with the whole multitude, and he explains this. But some of the guys are like, tuned out. People tune out here. But he explains it, but he does say this when they ask him. He says, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. It's a matter of the will. Do you want to see? Do you want to hear? It's up to you. Are you listening? I don't know. And that's what Jesus would say. Some people are listening, some aren't. And, and I think it's very important for us when we get into the Word of God, Lord, get me in here to hear. Why? Not because we don't want to hear sometimes. I think sometimes we just get very distracted. I'm a distracted person. I sit, I try to get up early, I try to beat my wife 
I don't try to beat her up. I try to beat her waking up. Uh, I try to wake up before her. I feel like, number one, I make the coffee better. She makes it really strong. So, but I, I like to get up because I can get very distracted. And I, and I can sit and read. And, and Leah comes down. I love it. We fellowship. We talk. Uh, and and it's, it's good. But I'm very distracted. Once we start talking, it's like there's not, I'm not like the percentage of what I'm remembering and hearing is, goes down uh, by a lot. And I think we can be very distracted. Not that we don't want to hear at times. But Jesus begins to explain it. And verse 11 says, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Makes it very simple, right? (laughs) The guy that's out there just flinging the the grass seed out there and lands on the sidewalk and it lands in your garden and and you know wherever he's just flinging it out there hey, hopefully this stuff grows the seed that's being sown is the word of god right i i i've heard and read and you guys have probably probably seen it you know in i think in some russian explorers found seed in siberia that's very old I read about in Israel at Masada, Herod's, uh, one of his homes in Masada in Israel, in a jar, they found date seeds that are 2,000 years old. They grabbed these things, I think it was in 1960 something, they grabbed these things and they plant them 20 years later. And this tree grows. And it's a tree that had been a certain date that had been extinct for 1,800 years. And this thing's alive, right? Why? Because the seed contains life, contains everything that it took for something to grow. Contain life. It's living, right? And Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. We need to remember that. You need to remember that. This thing, the Bible, is very important. It's life. It's it's literally life, eternal life. And it takes. It's got every ingredient, right? You have you ever planted seeds? Anybody? You know, I go when I go to Walmart, and we don't do a lot of gardens anymore because. We've failed at a few. But I, I've tried them before at seed. Like, oh my gosh, I need all these seeds. You know, I'm, I'm grabbing. I've got seeds that are so old, and I've tried them. I get the little pots and a grow lamp. And you look at this seed like, is that actually going to turn into a tomato plant? I don't. And then this little sprout comes up like, oh. But they all look the same at first, and then you know, stuff starts happening. My goodness, this is crazy that that little seed is doing something, that that contained that kind of life, right? I, you can't make those seeds. You can, you can manipulate them, but you're not making them. That's like the word of God. It, it is what it is. It contains life. There's no changing it. It's going to produce life in you. And so Jesus is saying that, that that's what the word of God is. And, and so I've tried that, and it blows your mind 
you know, it actually makes what that little packet that you buy and it shows this beautiful plant, like, and there's 50 seeds. Wow, I've got 50 plants, way too many to put in a garden, at least my garden. He said, the seed's the word of God. The problem isn't the seed. That's the thing. The problem is not the seed. We're going to talk about the, the problem is the ground it hits, the soil that it hits. And Jesus is talking about the soil of a heart, right? Because if I took that seed and I threw it down on my patio my, or my deck and said, man, I hope this thing grows, it's not going to do anything. But if I, you know, dig in my garden and, and get the peat moss and some fertilizer and put that thing in there and I water it, and I, we, that thing's going to do something. Believe it or not, it will do something. Like, people with green thumbs are people that are, pay attention to detail. Like, I'm not going to forget to water you. I'm not going to forget to fertilize you. I'm not going to... Fr- people that aren't green thumbs are like, I hope I get back to you someday. Please stay alive. What's today? How long before I got to... Right? Like, in two weeks later, you're like, oh, that's right, I got a plant in the other room. Hope it's not dead. He says, those by the wayside, verse 12, are the ones who hear. They listen. They have an ear initially. But right away it says the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart. Unless they should believe and be saved. Right away. That's the first condition. That's the first thing God wants to do with someone. The word comes not to make you a better person. Not, not that, you don't, that you're not a murderer anymore, or you don't commit adultery, or you don't steal. Right? Those are byproducts. The first thing the word of God does, wants to save a soul. He wants to save your life for eternity because he loves you. He doesn't want you just to be a better person, obey the laws, do the right thing. He wants to save your soul. He came to die for your sins and for mine. And the devil knows that. So the first thing he does is he wants to come in and steal the seed. If you've ever been uh, in Africa, it's very apparent, you know, because they, sometimes they plant the same way, right? People have a little bag or, you know, they're not using tractors. They're using hoes and they're out there. And in, in their garden, there's these paths that, that are not just, they're not just walking on them. Their neighbors are. The whole village is taking this path to someone else's house, right? And people are, are so this ground that could be cultivated, planted, and it could be good soil. It's just hard-packed, hard ground, and the seed just falls on it. And when it sits there long enough, whether it's a rodent or a bird, it'll come along and just snatch it up because there's no way it's getting into that ground. It's like concrete. It's like digging around clay in the middle of the summer when it's dry, right? We're in the middle of a drought, and it's like you're digging concrete. And you see these footpaths. And Jesus said, that's what's going on. 
the word of God is sown. It's, good, it's, it's a good seed, but the ground of the heart is hard. And the Bible warns about having a hard heart. The Bible warns about letting your heart become hard. If you remember Pharaoh, God sent Moses to deliver his people. And he had to, the first thing he had to do was deliver a message to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, as, as Israel is imprisoned, enslaved in Egypt, Pharaoh, you've got to let us go so we can go worship our God. Ain't happening. First he says, who is your God? Well, Pharaoh, you're about to find out who he is. And Pharaoh does not let, and so, first miracle. Second miracle. And then Pharaoh's like, all right. Says that, that he repented. He, he, his heart got soft. He changed his mind. All right, you can go. Maybe you can go and do this. And I, no, no. And, and miracle after miracle, God is warning Pharaoh until finally the last thing is the firstborn in Egypt dies. But every time it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. You know what happened? The Bible says, finally, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's no changing. You harden your heart enough, God says, all right, I'm going to give you what you want. Not going to respond? Pharaoh would not respond to the message, to the warning. And he hardened his heart and hardened his heart. He was cruel. He, ensla- he was murdering Israelites. But there's another guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who did the very same thing. Took Israel captive in Babylon, dragged him in. He was cruel. He did what he wanted. One of those guys was Daniel that he grabbed. Amazing. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar was cruel. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel has to interpret it. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, man. You're in trouble, dude. Not good for you. I hope this doesn't happen to you, but this is what your dream means. You're going to end up going crazy for a little while. And he does. If you wanted to, you can turn to Daniel chapter 5 with me just for a second. This is after the fact. Daniel chapter 5. His grandson's in charge now. And he's worried. There's some problems in the kingdom. There's some handwriting on the wall. You've probably heard the saying, uh, you know, the, hey, the handwriting's on the wall, man. Bills are going to win, or whatever, right? Handwriting's on the wall. That means it's super evident what's going to happen. Well, this is the first handwriting on the wall here. Many, many tackle your farson. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You're done. It's over what you're doing. But he doesn't know what it means at first. Belshazzar has no idea what the handwriting means. So they call in Daniel. Daniel, can you interpret that for me? And as he's doing this, this was his warning. Because this, his grandson, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, knew 
He says, O O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, he says your father, it was actually his grandfather, a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty, majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. And whoever he wished, he executed. Whoever he wished, he kept alive. Whoever he wished, he set up. Whoever he wished, he put down. And when his heart was lifted up in pride, doesn't say in pride, but that's what it means to be lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed of his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and he appoints over it whoever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. That's a scary verse. You knew this. You know the history. If you look back at chapter, chapter 4, it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. You read that chapter, it's mind-blowing. But Nebuchadnezzar says this, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All whose works are truth, his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. And Nebuchadnezzar was thankful that for a time he was put out of his kingdom, but protected by his servants. His position was saved until he, he, he was humbled, and the guy actually got saved, right? So unlike Pharaoh, who continued to harden his heart, God knew how to humble Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And that's what God wants from us. Why? Because he wants to save you. Your hard heart, my hard heart, we live in obedience. And if something doesn't break in our life, if something doesn't change, if things don't get hard enough, or we're like, man, something's got to change for me. Can't keep living like this. Can't keep acting like this. Things are getting worse and worse. We'll go straight to hell like that. But when God allows circumstances, things in our life that humble us, man, it saves us eternally. But, but he says, those that are by the wayside, back in Luke, are the ones that hear and the devil comes and takes the word out of their heart. Lest they should believe and be saved. Hebrew says that it's Sin that hardens a heart. That's what it is. Also, sin, pride. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, an agnostic. I'm, whatever, an atheist. I'm religious. All those things keep the heart, the heart hard. And then it says this in verse thirteen. Jesus goes on to explain, but the one. The ones on the rock are those, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but they have no root. There's no, not a lot of soil. And they believe for a while, and the time of temptation, they fall away. So that was 
hard ground. Verse 12, this is shallow ground, shallow heart. There's not a lot of room for the seed to go in. And that the word temptation, it means it, those, are, those are trials. Those are difficulties. As things get hard, right? You come to church and you hear about the love of God, eternal life, peace, love, joy, purpose. And you realize, I can lay down addiction, depression, all these different things, discouragement. You have purpose of life, and, and you hear the pastor, you're like, I need that. I want that. You receive the Lord. You take the word in. It's a good seed. You go home and you tell your wife, or your husband, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or who, I went to church today. I heard it was amazing. You went to church? What? Yeah, you know, I don't know why. I just went to church. You're not going next week, right? Ah, uh, you know, well, I was thinking about it. Well, if you do, and life gets harder, and you don't realize there's a battle, right? That, there's a, that, that, that the pastor should have warned you. You receive the word. Listen, it's, 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 if you've ever played laser tag, all of a sudden, you go in there, it's like, oh, cool. And you get the, get the uniform and the... You know, all the stuff and the gun, and this is really cool. That Listen, you're entering into a battle, and things are shooting at you, at your mind, right, in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, the peace, the joy, eternal life, there's a battle, there's a warfare, there's a real devil. And all of a sudden, you're discouraged. You're like, well, I thought everybody, I remember when I got saved, I'm like, everybody is going to want to hear this. And all of a sudden, my big friend group went down to this Little friend group, like, nobody wants to hear this? <laughs> what? Not everybody wanted to hear this. And that's the way it is. Unfortunately, sometimes, not that you have to lose every friend, not that everything has to be terrible, but Jesus' explanation here is shallow soil, hard things come in your life, starts to grow this little plant, and there's no more room. There's a hard-packed surface underneath it, and because of trouble, it can't grow anymore. And it stops. It's over. And you say, it's not worth it. I didn't sign up for this. And then he says this in verse 14, the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they've heard, they go out and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That's, that's a crowded heart, a divided heart, right? And if you've ever had a garden, and my big problem with my garden, you know, because we, we would work up the soil, we'd get the rocks out, we'd put fertilizer in. When we planted, we'd get a little, I'd have Lori there, and we'd get a little peat moss in the bottom and have the, you know, we'd water as we went, and it was great. And, you know, any little tiny weed that I still saw in there, I'd be plucking those little guys out. And I'd, this is great. It's going to be the best garden ever. 
It's going to be amazing. We're going to have, and I'm picturing the, all the fruit we're going to have, the canning I'm going to do, and that Leah might do, help me do. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be amazing. We're going to get this done, and I'm excited. But then you start getting busy with other things. And those little weeds start growing up. Like, I can get that later. Okay. Small. Like that, how big could that get? And then you let it go. And then you go on vacation for a week. And that little tiny weed becomes a tree. It's got walnuts on it. Like, what happened? Right? You're it just, you're busy with other things. Jesus just becomes part of your life. Just a little section. It's just another thing that you do, church, right? Like you get saved at first and you man, you get a Bible and a bookmark and a other books and Bible tabs so you know where all the books of the Bible. I remember my first Bible. I'm like, I don't know any book. I got to get the little thing so I know where all the books of the Bible are. And nothing wrong with that, but you know they have Bible tabs. And but then it's just part of your life. You're distracted with other things. Other things creep in, which aren't bad. Things aren't bad. Cares aren't bad, right? That you care about other things. Pleasures aren't bad. Riches aren't bad unless they choke out Jesus in your life. Unless they become more important than Jesus in your life, then they become bad. Then they're weeds, right? The Bible, uh, Paul told Timothy that he's given us all things richly to enjoy. Man, we get to enjoy this life, things that are going on. You get to enjoy it in a way maybe other people don't because at the end of it, you're going to heaven. But those things, Jesus is warning, they're going to choke out me in your life. And you're not going to bring any fruit to maturity. We tried to do a garden this year. And, and you know, as weeds are dying, I'm like, oh, what in the world? There's a tomato plant there. with like millions of little cherry tomatoes on the ground. Like, hey, quick, pick those things up. Right? I didn't, had no idea something was growing in there. It got so bad. Right? I'm like, guys, get out weed the garden. We got, we got fruit. I had no idea. Because the weeds grow up. Stuff in this life takes priority and precedence over Jesus Christ. It can't. He needs to be number one. He's got purpose for your life. Eternal life. You, don't, you won't miss out on anything. And then he says this, but the ones that fell on good ground are the ones who having heard the word and with a noble and good heart, they keep it, they hold on to it, and they bear fruit with patience. They bear fruit with patience. It's good soil. They hear the word, and you know, but you know what? It takes sometimes patience. Well, I planted trees at my house. I planted them, uh, my daughter, my, uh, my oldest, Lydia, Lydia and I planted them the first year we moved in, and they were just like these little whips. And when I got them, they had little, tiny little uh, limbs on them. 
And they said, yeah, you got to cut the top of the tree and basically cut those limbs like maybe 50%. I'm like, what? I'm not going to cut this tree? That's like it's nothing as it is. But they know what they're talking about. You have to prune it and do the right, you know, right? So I'm pruning these things like years later with the chainsaw, like I should have listened. I'm so dumb, right? But the following year, like no fruit. Come on, where's the apples? Where's the, in years, right? Sometimes, and not that you have to wait years, we're not talking about trees. Sometimes it takes patience. You go through things in your life, things that are hard, and, and, and you're like, Lord, why am I losing my temper still? Why am, I doing, why am I acting this way? Why is my old nature coming out? But you hold on to the word of God and you keep it with patience. It's, it's a good seed. It's going to grow. Those trees grew. I don't have a green thumb. I can, I'm easily distracted. I've got all kinds of little plants around my house that are crowded out by things. Uh, and it took a long time for stuff to grow, grapes. And I got a few berries that I really choked out too. Kind of sad, my garden. That's a picture of what this world does. But Jesus said, if you keep his word, you'll bear fruit. John 15 says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you're going to bear much fruit. It's just natural, right? My trees, when I look out there, they're not, they're not, they weren't every year like, you got to get some fruit on you. They just eventually did it. It just happened. Why? Because they stayed in the ground and they got watered and they stayed in the ground and they got watered. And that's, all, that's what it takes to walk with the Lord. Hold on to the word of God, the truth of it. Paul the apostle was not always Paul. Saul of Tarsus he was persecuting the church. He actually was killing people. He was there when the first martyr of the church, Stephen, was martyred. He gave his vote to kill him, and he held the coats of the guys who stoned Stephen. But that seed of Stephen's life germinated the seed in Paul's, Saul's life, who became Paul the Apostle. And as Stephen held his ground, preached the gospel... It affected Paul, then Saul. And Saul was just riding in, uh, into uh, Damascus on a horse. He gets knocked off, and the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he hears the word, and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? His response to the word, to hearing God's voice. You know, Saul of Tarsus, as he's persecuting the church, he had all his seeds in a nice little bag. He knew what they all were. He knew the Bible, the Old Testament, as good or better than anyone. But because it wasn't planted in his heart, he was killing Christians. Until finally he heard the word of God one day. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing? And he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. And that's a response. That's a great response to the gospel. Lord, what do you want from my life? 
I'm yours. I've been doing my life this way. Here's the fruit of it. I got, I killed this guy. I put these men and women and children in prison. What now? What do you want to do with my life? Sick of what I've been doing. That's a changed life. It's a touched heart. Lord, what do you want? That's somebody who hears the word and keeps it, right? That's what we want to do. Respond to God's word. Big thing, guys, don't let anything choke out God's word in your life. Make it a priority. Make Jesus a priority in your life, okay? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that there is power. Thank you for eternal life. There is a real battle against it, a real battle for ourselves, a real battle uh, that's spiritual. Pray we'd recognize that, Lord. I pray as your people, God, you would give us ears to hear, to respond, a will to obey what you say. Lord, you just you don't want robots. You want children. You don't want uh, servants. You, you want a friendship, a relationship. You love us. Uh, so I pray that you, we'd hear your voice, we'd stay in your word, that we'd walk with you, God, that, you'd sh- that we'd sharpen one another, encourage one another, Lord. Uh, and and because, because of what you've done and who you are, Lord, we just want to worship you. We just give you our lives, Lord. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.